Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. Some call me Alex, and I am joined, as always, by the man who spends more time on Keyforge, has more thoughts on Keyforge, and has more analysis of Keyforge than any other person I know. It's my good buddy, my coach, Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Yo, what's going on, man? It's Not my, too my much. key thoughts. My key thoughts. <laughs> Is that your article for Keyforge Monthly? Uh, no, that's my my new YouTube series. I do a, it's like a weekly vlog. Just my like after the week's gone by, what have I noticed playing Keyforge? Man, at some point where you're going to dedicate an episode of just me interviewing you about making Keyforge content, because I feel right, like that's it. a thing that would be really fun. Because we barely ever touch on all of your extracurricular endeavors here on Help from Future Self, but you do so much Keyforge stuff, articles. Yeah, I, was, I was commentating on the weekend actually for like five hours with Dan from Sanctimonious for the Glorious U tournament, which was a lot of fun. Okay, okay, hold up. I, I need to touch on this before we get into the topic of today's show. How did you find it? Oh, it was awesome. This is the second time we've done it. Him and I have that, you know, that shake and bake razzle dazzle when we do commentary together. So we just have a lot of fun and it's really cool uh, watching other people play and just talking about what you think is going to happen trying to predict the plays based on what the deck is. And a lot of the times it works out that you're seeing, you're kind of following along one side of the bracket. So you get to see one person advancing and if they start making a run, you start to see things happen. And then it's really cool as you get further into the tournament being able to see this one deck perform in certain ways and how it works against different archetypes which is really cool so is one of you the play-by-play play-by-play guy one of you the color guy or do you guys switch it up no it's it's because of like everyone's you're watching it and it's pretty clear we we talk about a little bit it's kind of uh, always a back and forth but Mm -hmm. it's it's more just uh I, i wouldn't call it like a traditional commentary it's more just having a conversation while people play keyforge yeah, I, I think that I would be okay at color. I think play by play, I would be really poor at just because I would str- stumble over the name of cards and not mm. be able to think of the name of a card as it's being played. And by the time I think of it, they've gone on to the next thing. But I could be the guy who stands there and tells stories about uh, about various Keyforge games I've played and how they might apply to the current situation. But we're not here to talk about Keyforge commentary today. Um, we had terrific, terrific responses to two of our recent episodes where we talked about some of the uh, artifacts that are defining the game in the mass mutation era we did an episode about the auto encoder and we did an episode about quixelstone an older card seeing a new life in this set and we thought hey are there any other cards that have a very similar definitive to this set and hugely impactful on the way the game is played nature that we could talk about in an episode and we came up with two of them and it just so happens they're both artifacts Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's pretty wild so the two cards that we're going to be talking about today are essence scale and the Dark Amber Vault. Now, we're going to be doing two of those in one episode because I think we have a little bit less to say about them than we did about Auto Encoder and uh, uh, Quixelstone, which we could dedicate entire episodes to. But there's actually a little more complexity to both of them than I think it seems like on the surface. They're both mm-hmm. very powerful cards. And I found when I was doing my, my gameplay to test out decks that had them for the purposes of this episode, I really started to notice the way that both those cards warp the game if you play them correctly. Yeah, I agree. It's that is like that is the correct way to put it is warp. And I think it's also fitting like we each chose our cards separately. We didn't have a discussion like, oh, you're choosing that. I'm going to choose this. We chose them completely separately. But I find there is uh, kind of a similar 
uh, event sort of happens once you start going the path of exploring these artifacts, like what you're able to do, what it creates. And I find that uh, very interesting. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So starting things off with Essence Scale, um, it's a dis artifact in Mass Mutation for the first time. You get one pip of Amber for playing it, which is one of those little like, once you actually start realizing how great and powerful this card is, that almost seems like a slap in the face that somebody gets a pip of Amber just for playing it. It mm-hmm. has the action, destroy a friendly creature if you do ready and use a friendly creature that shares a house with the destroyed creature. So right out of the gate, instantaneously a house cheat. Oh yeah. Um, I think that that's like the very obvious application. We're also talking about a set that has Dominator Bobble. So one of the things that I think they've really been pushing for this is the ability to do those house cheats that I think you saw way more of back in Worlds Collide in the Star Alliance. They were the guys who had all the ways to play cards out of house. Whereas uh, with uh, the Dis in Mass Mutation, what we're seeing is ways to use your creatures on the board out of house. But actually, weirdly enough, as much as I like that part of it, it's in-house Dis that I think Essence Scale does its best work. Is that something you found with your, your games? I know you have a triple Essence Scale deck. Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, I was blessed in my deck to not only have three Essence Scales, but also have the Brabbles, two Brabbles and two Inspectors. And I feel that the best destroyed triggers exist in house discs. So having those creatures, which honestly on the surface, Inspector and stuff is not, I don't think it's a great creature. Uh, I think it's it's fantastic in terms of the disruption factor that it has because you're purging a card out of your opponent's mm-hmm. hand. But a lot of the times you're kind of like, waiting a turn to either call or to use dis again to attack sometimes is is not feeling great but when you bring that essence scale factor into it where you can literally just play it and just instantly use it to get rid of that and ready another creature you play that maybe has more value it really starts to shape how you can take advantage of these destroy triggers to have that secondary effect occur and then use the primary effect that essence scale provides and i think that's really neat all right, so I'm going to throw something at you here. I went in to go look at destroyed triggers in Dis in Mass Mutation. There are 21 creatures in House Dis. Would you care to guess how many of them have a destroyed trigger? Three. Nine. Oh, okay. I was so <laughs> almost half of the creatures in the set. Now, there's, there's a bit of a caveat to that, that, Blake, which is that most of them are fiends, but I'll run them down right, for right. you here. Brabble. Dark Minion, Dino Fiend, Lyco Fiend, Sacro Fiend, Umbra Fiend, Xeno Fiend, Imp Spectre, and Trubaru. So yeah. nine creatures that each have a destroyed trigger. And the great thing about Essence Scale is that you could literally have an Essence Scale on the table, start with no disc creatures, drop something like, oh, I don't know, uh, we'll say a Dark Minion and a uh, uh, another disc creature. Could be any creature. Could be an Infernus. Could be anything. Drop them both sacrifice the dark minion, get its destroyed trigger to go off, and then use your other disc creature that turn. So it creates instantaneous value, both in doing the destroyed trigger, you lose the creature, but here's one of the wild things about this card. There are so many ways to bring back creatures in disc in mass mutation. You've got That's Stirring Grave. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I, I think one of the things that really impresses me about this artifact is that it creates so much value, not just from the house cheating aspect of it, but within house discs, the ability to uh, get destroyed triggers to go off and then get double value out of a creature that you might just have played. Or if it was already on the table, you use it to fight, reap, or use its action ability and then get to use it again while still reaping the benefit of having used a, a creature or a destroyed a creature with a destroyed trigger that you might even be able to to bring back along with various other creatures. Um, do you have a deck with it in Relentless Creeper, Blake? I do not, no, but I can see how that could be really fun, especially if if you don't have anything that you want to sacrifice a lot, like your creatures, you're like, when these hit the board, they're kind of potent. I don't want to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. That just creates such a nice uh, recursion of a creature that you can constantly use to get extra value out of that turn, which is really neat. One of my absolute favorite decks in the set has Essence Scale, and it has Lord Invidious, and it has Relentless Creeper. So the way that the combo works is that you drop Lord Invidious, and it doesn't really matter if he's in the middle of your battle line at the start of your turn, because you put Relentless Creeper into your hand. Relentless Creeper is a two-power disc creature that has the ability of, after you choose disc as your active house, you may return Relentless Creeper from your discard pile to your hand. You drop Relentless Creeper, so that if you need to, to even out what's on the board, you use Lord Invidious's power to steal a creature. And then you can sacrifice, uh, now that the odds have been changed, uh, like in terms of where Invidious is in the battle line, to kill mm-hmm. Relentless Creeper and use Invidious again to steal another creature or various other things like that. And you can just keep doing that because every time you call this, you bring back Relentless Creeper. It is such a potent, nasty combo. Yeah, that is gross. And well, not to mention, if you're using Lord Invidious as well and you have the Essence Scale, instantly anything you're stealing becomes a disc creature. So therefore, you can literally sack your opponent's own creature to then get to use another disc creature because they become a disc creature once you use Lord Invidious with them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, uh, it's one of those things that I think on paper, you look at it and you go, that's good. There's a bit of a risk reward with it in that you're destroying your own creatures, but in the right deck, it hums. And the reason it hums is that it creates value beyond just getting to use a creature. It's multiple uses of the same creature. It's recursion of a creature that you don't care about, like Relentless Creeper or an opponent's creature to get more value out of your own creatures. It's setting off destroyed triggers. There's so many different little combos you can do with it that are deck dependent that you know i don't even think we've seen the entirety of what you could do with this i really hope that they keep this one going forward because i feel it's like it's the kind of artifact not unlike quixelstone that once you're into another set will suddenly have an entire other ocean of possibilities it's not overpowered and i do not think that it like warps the game in such a way that it makes the game unplayable, but it is something that your opponent has to be aware of, has to know how to play around. And I think we're saving artifact control for. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Except if you have three of them and then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I had noted down just as uh, things that you, you kind of want when you have an essence scale deck is you kind of want to have a high creature count in mm. your deck because you are going to be sacking creatures so if you have like, I would say 16 is probably like the absolute lowest you would want it. Even then it may be trouble, especially if you're not getting to establish a board, it could be problematic. And then secondary to that, a great counter to an essence scale deck is actually a board wipe. Because if you're cro- causing all the creatures to go off the board, you're creating that basically that um, pool of creatures that can be used to have essence scale really take off. It's not going to really be there. And so that's that's one, I think, 
maybe the best counter because if they have a huge board that's really wide then that essence scale is just going to put in work like you can just call this every turn and use whatever house you want Mm -hmm. absolutely you're totally correct but yeah i think that that uh, the combos you're looking for are always uh things like invidious obviously uh Mm -hmm. you're looking for anything with a destroyed trigger and then you're looking for grim reminder and stirring grave to bring back the creatures that you nuke with uh within that house in order to be able to do that big emphasis on destroying your own creatures in this set in disc but always i think with like a huge payoff when you do like implosion is wonderful targeted um removal that you know works with the fact that there's so many destroyed triggers that we just named um you know uh, guilty hearts is back in this set you know all kinds of stuff like that so um yeah that's 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 essence scale but moving on to a very unique artifact blake you've been putting in a ton of time with this one recently why don't you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about the dark amber vault so first off uh dark amber vault is an is an artifact and it has a location trait and it says after you play a mutant creature draw a card each friendly mutant creature gets plus two power. And that's I think that second one is the one that actually throws a lot of people mm-hmm. off and they'll swing into mutants and wonder what just happened. Why did their creature die? Or why didn't the mutant die? So that's that second part is is uh, can sometimes catch people off guard. Um, before we go any further, one cool thing is like this card is obviously very powerful. Uh, people who have this deck and have played it can probably attest to this. Uh, if you get the right situation occur, you can just go on like a library access type run with it. And one thing that was really cool is when I was testing it, someone, I looked at their list and I was just like, okay, they have no artifact control. This is going to be sweet. What I did, not, I did not account for was harvest time because you actually purge cards based on a trait. So they chose location as the trait and then got oh. to purge it. And I didn't even think of it. And it was such a, I was just like, that's absolutely genius. Like it was such a really, uh, like really next level play that I would never consider when using harvest time. So uh, I don't have a lot of decks with that, that I play frequently, but that is I just thought that was a cool thing. Right there. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So but, I got a question for yeah, you. Yeah, let's hear about it. Why do you think that they did something that they've never done before in putting this card into every house? You could literally pull this in any house in Mass Mutation. What do you think the logic was behind that? Well, I think it's because it's something that is universal. And I'm so glad that you brought this up, Alex. This was not planned at all this moment, but uh, this works really well for something I'd noted down is I actually wrote down how many disc creatures were in each house. So the way it works is... um, Dis has 11 creatures. Mm-hmm. Logos has 17 creatures. These are mutant creatures? Yes, mutant creatures. Sorry, yeah, they have the mutant trait. Uh, Sanctum has eight creatures. Uh, Saurians have 10. Shadows has 13. Star Alliance has 12. And then Untamed has 16. So Logos and Untamed have the most mutants in mass mutation. And I thought that was really interesting because this can appear in any house. So there's obviously going to be certain houses that you kind of, it's going to have a less value being in that house. Obviously, Sanctum and uh, the Saurians and Dis are going to be at the bottom end of that scale. And you're just not going to have the opportunity potentially to have cards to play out because I don't think it's any secret now that this card can really do disgusting things. Uh, in my personal instance, I happen to be blessed with having Logos and Untamed in my Dark Ember Vault deck, mm-hmm. and it appears in Untamed where I have all of my creatures are mutants. That's seven creatures are mutants. So I don't actually worry about 
the fact that people could have artifact control, I just save up my turn that I'm going to have like a library access turn. So I count the first turn I play it is where I'm going to get the most potency. And then everything after that will be a bonus if I know artifact control exists within my opponent's uh, deck list. And that's kind of the way I've been approaching it. It's like I craft a turn to have one really big turn. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your experience been, Alex, when you've been testing? I have one uh, DAV deck, and I always like to test with decks I own myself. Um, very occasionally, if it's something that I don't have in my own collection, then I will make a point of going out and finding like a deck from a friend or something like that. Like I've borrowed mm -hmm. decks from you to use virtually to do testing for. But I wanted to use my own DAV deck because it's a middle-of-the-deck mass mutation deck for me. Um and what I discovered, Blake, is that in this deck, because it appears in Saurian, where you don't get the maximum amount of value out of it, um, however, it also has Logos in it, which has a ton of good mutant creatures. And, and this deck specifically has a very large number of mutants. It's got like a double Skippy Time Hog. It's got even Ivan and Odd Claude. Um, it's got mm. all kinds of stuff like that. What I discovered was that if I can get it out early enough then it helps me like win games very consistently. If it never comes out, the deck never really sings. And it's mm -hmm. the combination of one, it keeps my value creatures that have steel on the board. So I'm thinking of um, Citizen Shrixes, uh, even an odd claw, even I have an odd clawed, um, and so forth. It helps them because it beefs them up. But also, when I'm playing them out, I'm getting more cards so I can cycle my deck faster, which is, of course, the essence of what makes Dav great. But yes. uh, it, it is one of those things where the deck otherwise isn't that fantastic. So it creates a hard mull situation for me almost always trying to get that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I. I, I kind of have tried different things and done different testing to see like what happens if I don't get it, what happens if I do get it. And I mm -hmm. honestly found it's only the speed that changes because this is the second thing I want to talk about with a DAV deck is it's not just about the Dark Ember Vault. There is the fact that you're looking for the mutants in your deck. So you want to have a good mutant count, period. I think that is really important. Mm -hmm. And then normally when I'm looking at uh, a DOK rating the synergy for me is actually not something that i generally pay close attention to close attention to i i'm more into looking at what the base arc is and kind of going from there but i found with a dark ember vault deck synergy is actually really important because mm -hmm. that's where you're going to start seeing things like the mutant traits and stuff like that really start coming together and mine happens to have an insane synergy score i think it's my highest one of like 25 which is just bananas and things that I think are really good with this synergy aspect is having something like a professor Torado. So if you have a lot of creatures out and you can drop that Torado, that means every time you're reaping with a mutant, you're drawing. So you drew a card to play it. And then once you call it the next turn, you're now also reaping to draw another card. So you're getting that kind of double dip action happening. And then Torado becomes now a six power creature with dark Ember vault because of that plus two power going on. So it's a very interesting uh, kind of, speeding up what dark ember vault is already doing so i find that really interesting uh some other cards that i think you want to have mm -hmm. again going off of this mutant trait and wanting to utilize the mutants in your deck is mutagenic vault because then you can start utilizing your mutants like you're, you're obviously if you have the dav out you're wanting to play mutants which is going to cause you to draw more cards and then you're going to have a lot of mutants and you could have more mutants in hand because you just drew half your deck and then you can be like you know what I can pop the vault or the sorry the mutagenic vault next turn and all those creatures I just played from house A now I get to reap with and I get to play a whole bunch of cards from house B and uh, I'm going to keep drawing and so it just creates this 
it's like a cascade effect mm-hmm. if you get the right synergies going between all of the different ways. And then you have things like Vault's Blessing, which is essentially like the new burst card if you have a strong mutant deck. And you experience what I can do with my deck if mm-hmm. I get the Vault Blessing at the end. It's just suddenly like, boom, 10 Ember, just like out of nowhere, or like 7 Ember. It's like you, you're basically getting a key just with playing a card, snap your fingers. So I find that's really interesting. And then you have ways that you can actually do one-sided board wipes when you have this strong mutant contingency, which is with Krizap, which is in mm-hmm. Logos. You gain a chain, but you destroy each non-mutant creature. And when you have a lot of mutants, that can be very, very potent. Yeah, especially if you're playing against older sets where mutants were more of a rarity. I think going mm-hmm. into the set, we identified the fact that the emphasis on mutant was right in the name of, of the set, obviously, but also yeah. a thing that we were going to have to start looking at. And I think we were super intrigued by the fact that this was the first time that we saw Keyforge emphasizing something like trait as sort of a definitive aspect of the set's design. Because we've seen lots of cards that trigger off of traits before. You know, um, there there was cards uh, that would like do extra uh, damage for every trait that a card has or destroy yeah. every creature with a certain trait and stuff like that. But very few where it's not about house with the Dav deck. Like obviously house influences how many mutant creatures you have available to you, but you're not looking at like it's an aspect that you've ha- never had to look at before, which is mm-hmm. how many cards with this same trait do I have? I guess back in the day in the Coda era when you had like Epic Quest, you would be looking at right. how many knight cards you have and because there were other cards that keyed off of knight. But this is like that on on nitro, if you'll forgive the expression, because of the crazy amount of value that you get from just like being able to draw so many extra cards and also keep those cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. That's that's very true. So if you're opening up a dav deck, what's the first thing you're looking for? So honestly, the first thing I'm looking for is the total mutant count. And then aside from that, I think it's actually really important to know how many mutants are in the house that the Dark Ember Vault is in. Because it's it's now a huge target. Like if you see that, you know you want to get rid of it. That's that's I don't think anyone's like, oh, I'm gonna ignore this and save my artifact removal for something else like it's got to be a prime target unless you have identified that their deck has a low mutant count so it's not going to have the same value i think that's the only time you would really ignore it and even then i would think that's suspect so you want to know i think how many mutants are in the house that your dark amber vault is in because once you know that you can kind of get an idea for okay what's the maximum value i can get on the turn i play it how much should i be crafting my hand to get to this point now in my deck, I'm actually extremely blessed because not only do I have like all mutants, like seven mutants in my Dark Ember Vault house, but I also have the fact that there's double resurgence in there. So even if I play some of those mutants out early, I'm basically able to recur some of them and get them back into my hand. So it actually makes it that I'm going to get more value because I can return two mutants with resurgence back to my hand. So when I drop it, it just becomes that much more potent. So I think that's a really good thing. I also think that the logos being with uh, within it is very important as well because you're going to get other things creep up that are going to allow you to archive. So you can start archiving a lot of your mutants and then that can allow you to have those really big swing turns as well. So the fact that Logos has a lot of mutants already, and then you can combine that with this means you can just craft these insane turns. 
Yeah, it's it's a totally bonkers deck, and I got to see and experience what it's like when your deck gets rolling. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a good solid deck, but DAV is what puts it over the top into like vault tour caliber, I think. Because yeah, I would agree. The rush with it once it has the Dark Amber Vault is, like this is an argument for why your competitive deck should have artifact control. And that's been a back and forth argument for such a long time. And I've always had the argument of like, look, you can get by with almost anything, without almost anything. I think in Mass Mutation, you need artifact control because you don't want to get quixeled and you don't want to get daved. But you mm-hmm. also need to have, you know, the other stuff that we always talk about, board clears and so on and so forth, because those are solutions to the same problems, right? A board yeah. clear can help you take care of a DAV a deck. Artifact control can help you take care of a DAV deck. And here is the one, and I know I mentioned this in a previous uh, episode as a help from future self. Watch out for Boro. Watch out for Boro mm-hmm. when you're playing DAV, because that could be yeah. the difference between winning or losing. It's very true. I, I think when I see a borough, there's two things I look at. One is I count there. I really want to be aware of their mutants. And then, like I said, crafting that turn where you're like, I'm only going to get used out of this this turn right now becomes much more important. And I don't even know if you can discard it. I think you just have to roll with it and hope it's at the right time and you're not behind in the game. I think those are really important factors with that. Mm-hmm. But I also want to talk about uh, not just my deck because uh, Grant Titus, who... If you don't know who he is, he's one of the members of KIP and uh, created the Crucible Tracker. He also has a Dark Ember Vault deck, and I've played against it, and he made my keys cost 43. And uh, (laughs) he also used it in the Glorious U this past weekend, and so I got to see it be run a bunch of times, which was fantastic for the fact that we were doing this episode, because his deck has the exact same houses mine has, except his mutant distribution is a little bit more spread out, but he also has Library Card in his deck, so it gets that extra like turn of cycling really really insane but watching him play i noticed kind of it was different from mine because mine was like a true mutant deck like mine is not just a dark ember vault deck i would actually classify it as a mutant deck and then the dark ember vault kind of amplifies that and Mm -hmm. i actually got to play against him with this deck not a mirror match but he went against me and what he did was he turn one went eaton's jar dark ember vault turn one shut it off i still won the game because my mutant synergy is so great and it made me truly appreciate for the first time how powerful having that mutant synergy is. And that Dark Ember Vault, like you said, is once it comes out, it takes the deck to another level. And that's what I think Dark Ember Vault does is it takes things you already have and amplifies them in a lot of different ways. I actually think Shadows has really interesting uh, traits that it adds to mutants which is really cool because a lot of those shadows creatures seem kind of vanilla. Mm -hmm. But once you get that mutant trait with it, I think like a dark ember vault in shadows is really strong and can have some really cool matchups. Yeah, like the Shadow Smith is not my favorite card in Shadows in this set, but each mutant gains elusive. If those mutants are also like five power or an additional two power on top of everything, like mm-hmm. suddenly those are a lot more difficult to take care of if you're capturing Amber on them and doing stuff like that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's certainly Johnny Longfingers. One. Oh yeah, every totally. mutant gets destroyed steel one. So even if you destroy Johnny Longfingers, you're getting to get at least a minimum of one steel. It's it's a really Really, like that card I, I literally didn't see for forever, and suddenly I've been seeing it a lot, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of my favorites in this entire set, and it's because mm-hmm. that power is one of those ones that flies under the radar. I think yeah. people aren't necessarily looking for it, and then when they actually do run up against it, it's one of those things that they, they have to – you have to be cognizant that somebody can really run on you if you let their mutants live and that you leave their Johnny Longfingers out. Yeah, it's true. 
Have you got any other thoughts on this before we move on to the final segment? No, that was pretty much everything. Man, I that deck, if you ever get the opportunity, are you going to be playing it on stream coming up, Blake? 100%. Always. All right. Make sure you tune in to check out Blake playing this deck because it is it goes like a bat out of hell. It is mm-hmm. bananas. And I think, uh, without exception, the best uh, deck that I've played against in Mass Mutation. I've seen a few others that might be able to go toe-to-toe with it, but it is so scary and so tricky. I brought some of my old-school heat to play against it, and the four-dimensional chess that was required even though I knew what was in the deck and had played against it uh, in a previous game, was like very taxing. So I'll be eager when we get competitive playback to see you play, bring that to uh, bring that to some events. Yeah, probably not most local events. It doesn't. It feels like you know it's it's not. It doesn't feel fair in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it has like it needs to be for premier events. I wouldn't want to bring that just to a normal. I, I it just feels like it with the way it works is it's like really good it's my top rated deck and it plays like my top rated deck and i'm very conscious of our local scene and not wanting to necessarily bring something like that unless it's a premier tournament but i will definitely bring it out to like primes or grand champs things like that um store champs for sure that'll be a contention but definitely i don't know for a weekly chain bound when those things are a thing again we can't end an episode of help from future self without the titular segment this one's called help from future self i got one for us this week blake um i've been noticing this a lot with one of the decks i've been testing um it is a deck that has a lot of bad first hands and what Mm. i mean by that it has a lot of really good amber control and it has a lot of um, cards that are excellent, like second, third, fourth turn, but bad first turn because they either have capture or they're for dealing with um, like significant threats, uh, board clears, uh, spot removal, and things like that. And um, what I was doing was I was really, really chaining myself because I didn't want to quote unquote waste these cards. I didn't want to put out three old Brunos on turn two when my opponent only has one Amber to capture. Um what I discovered was that I was putting myself behind so far by waiting for the right moment that the best thing that these cards were doing for me was trying to make up the ground that I had lost by not just getting rid of them, getting them out of my hand and moving on. So my help from future self to you is sometimes you just got to plop the card down, even though it's not the most opportune moment. Maybe, uh, you know, if it's mid game and you think there might be a turn or two where you might be able to engineer something, it's worth holding on to. But if it's literally like turn one and you've got four cards in your hand and only two of them are worth playing and the other two are going to get you no value, even though they might get you more value later, sometimes you just got to run with it so that you can cycle your deck faster because because it is a fast game. It's even faster in Mass Mutation. If you're playing against one of those decks like we just discussed, one of those hot dav decks where they're drawing all kinds of cards, you cannot afford to get behind. You have to keep pace. And believe me, you, uh, you know, in any game that I've been successful in lately, it's been the ones where I've been the one making the pace and my opponent has been the one struggling to catch up with me. So just something to keep in mind when you're looking at cards that maybe you have to go, uh, I don't think that this is the right moment for this. Mm. I like it. Yeah, good point. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. Uh, you can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on The Crucible. Thank you to everybody who's been uh, shouting out the podcast lately when we played games. We really appreciate you listening. I'm also on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, uh, I want to say something that I mentioned on Instagram. Um, there was a recent update to The Crucible, whereby um, now in manual mode, somebody needs to approve you forging a key 
Um, meaning that there was a problem, and I experienced this myself, where your opponent turns on manual and then wins the game by forging three keys. Um, <laughs> just as a troll move. Like so, so dumb. <laughs> it is. But, you know, it would be a thing where it'd be like, it would be in a position where it's like I was almost winning and they would like, oh, I accidentally misclicked. Do you mind? This this literally happened to me. Um, and they were like, do you mind if I uh, 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 manual that? And I said, no problem. And then the moment I let them turn on manual, they just forged three keys and then quit the game. Um, so, so funny. yeah, the fact that they had to put that in to the crucible is like, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, why do you want people like and there, there is a good reason why you don't want to troll and take advantage of stuff like that, and it's this. Any time they spend having to put that stuff in is time they're not spending on other, like, quality of life improvements for the, the Crucible. So just just be cool. I know that everybody who listens to this podcast is cool, but pass that message around to, to all your friends. As long as we maintain a, a, a cool and respectful uh, play environment, everybody's life is going to be improved by that. Uh, Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? Uh, the best place to find me is on YouTube at Boulevard Paper Fight, as well as Twitter under the same handle. And then on my Twitter, where I'm streaming every Tuesday night. And also, I'm kind of throwing Saturday mornings into the mix now. And this Saturday is going to be particularly special because my man Dan from Sanctimonious is going to be joining me. And we're going to do a co-stream and just have some fun games going on and have our regular banter, which is always fun. If you tuned in last Saturday, you would have seen my salty mood when Dan was playing this very fair game that I deemed to be shenanigans and uh if you enjoyed that then uh please tune in because he promised he will create a poll for you to determine if i am salty or not so yeah it'll be good times <laughs> you have to change your nickname from coach to salty b yeah seriously <laughs> the rapping pirate all right uh <laughs> it has been a terrific episode of help from future self thank you so much for listening thank you so much for telling all your friends about us um if you feel so inclined why not uh, post this episode on your social medias and let everybody know um uh our thoughts and maybe your own on dark amber vault and the essence scale we'll be back at you next week and until then stay focused.